Listen, tonight we're going to talk about no more compromising our integrity. And so what I want us to do is kind of define integrity at the table. So I want you to take about three, four, five minutes around the table, and this is what I want you to discuss. I want you to say, answer the question, what is integrity, and basically give it a definition. You guys around your table, build a definition for what integrity is, and then we're going to come back and talk about that for just a few minutes. So take about five minutes and discuss that at your table. Let me pray for us, and then we'll start. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for these guys. I pray you'll bless the time we have together as we look at no more compromising our integrity, as we look at Daniel chapter 6 and see how Daniel stood up for what was right. And so I pray you'll bless our conversation. We love you. Amen. Take about five minutes. Discuss it. All right, guys, I hope you've uh, had good conversation around your table talking about this idea of what integrity is. I'm not going to pass a mic around, but does anybody have like a really good definition that you came up with? Does one table, you're like, we've got it right here. Y'all got it right there? You've got a really good one? Did you write it down? Oh, he's writing it down for us. Oh, you don't? Okay, what is it? Okay, quoting C.S. Lewis, which is? Integrity is doing the right thing. Even if nobody's looking. Integrity is doing the right thing even if no one is looking. Okay? That's C.S. Lewis. All right. Do you have it written down? Yeah. Let's see what you got here. So knowing what is Knowing what is right. And adopting it as the standard. And adopting it as the standard. By which you live your life. By which you live your life. Unwilling to compromise. Unwilling to compromise. Even when no one is looking. Let me try it one more time. Knowing what is right and adopting it as the standard by which you live your life without compromise, even when no one is around. I think that's, that's long, but it's good. It's good. You know, Dr. Evans says in his book, he said, have you ever been driving down the road and someone has their right blinker on and all of a sudden they turn left? You ever had that issue? I know you would never do that. But have you, ever, have you ever had that happen in front of you? It's frustrating, isn't it? And this is what he said. He said, a lot of men are signaling one way, and they're going another. A lot of men are signaling one way. See, they're going to church. They're putting the nice clothes on on Sundays. They're carrying their big Bible that looks like it's been worn a little bit, but their life outside of that looks totally different. So they'll carry it to church, but they won't carry it to work. I'll give you another example. I shared this actually last semester. I had a friend who coached football. And he's on the football field, and the local FCA guy came out, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. He said, hey, coach, can I talk to you for a minute? He said, sure. He said, I want to start a Bible study with your boys. And the guy turned to him, and he said, listen here. And by the way, this coach is a Christian. He said, I'm all for the church, and I'm all for Christianity. I'm all for the Bible. But on this football field, it's about football and nothing else. You'll have to do that somewhere else. You see, he's just missed the boat, and he has compromised his integrity. So that's kind of defining it as a table. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a few more moments. And now what I want you to do is something a little different. I want you to talk about what actions come to mind when you hear that a man has compromised his integrity. What actions come to mind when you hear that a man has compromised his integrity? I want to make sure that we're on the same page here. I want to make sure that we're kind of laying all the cards on the table. I want to make sure that we're not just talking about stuff here, we're talking about stuff that nobody wants to talk about, but we got to talk about. So I want you to take a few minutes 
and talk about what actions come to mind when you hear a man has compromised his integrity. Take a few minutes right now. All right. Just kind of popcorn style, yell some things out that you talked about around your table. Adultery, pornography. What's that? Abusing children. What is it? Breaking oaths. Yeah, we don't like to talk about that a whole lot. We don't like to talk about breaking covenants and all that stuff. That's a, you know, in the Old Testament, when you made a covenant, it's a pretty big deal. Uh, you and the guy would get together. If David and I made a covenant, we would take an animal, we'd cut it in half, we'd put half of it here and half of it there, and then as we made the covenant, we would walk between it, signifying that if either one of us broke it, what happened to that animal is what would be to happen to one of us. We don't like that kind of covenant. We don't even want to shake hands anymore. All right, what else? Money fraud. Oh, money fraud. Okay. All right. Anger. Yep, blowing up. Yep. What else? Generational consequences. Okay. Homosexuality. Okay. What else? Anything else? What is it? Loss of witness. Okay. We could probably make a very extensive list, and we could probably get extremely detailed, but I, I want you to just hold on to this idea that God has called us to a higher standard as men of God. And I think he's called us to a much higher standard than we even like to believe in. Because when I read in First Peter, it says that we're a royal priesthood, and we are a holy nation. And if you take that back to Leviticus, and you look at how the priests were to set themselves apart, even the way they dressed, even the way their clothes were stitched, they looked different. When you saw a Levite, you knew who he was because he looked different. And I wonder, when we as Christians go to work or are in our neighborhoods, do we look different? Do we sound different? Do we talk different? Do we act different? Do we respond different? What I want us to do tonight is I want us to look at a man who we've all probably read about, a man we all probably would aspire to be like, and it's the man Daniel. Now we know the story of Daniel in the lion's den, but what I want us to do is walk through this text, and I want to point just a couple things out to you, and then I want to send it back to the table for a little bit of discussion a couple more times. So this is going to be in Daniel chapter 6, Daniel chapter 6, let's look at the first four verses. It says, Darius decided to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom stationed throughout the realm, and over them three administrators, including Daniel. These satraps would be accountable to them so that the king would not be defrauded. Daniel distinguished himself above the administrators and satraps because he had an extraordinary spirit. So the king planned to set him over the whole realm. Verse 4, the administrators and satraps, therefore, kept trying to find a charge against Daniel regarding the kingdom, but they could find no charge or corruption, for he was trustworthy, no negligence or corruption was found in him. Man, that's incredible. These guys have been set 
apart. There was 120 satraps. Satraps were chief representatives of the king in that particular area. So they were all throughout his kingdom. They were high-level decision makers. We would probably think of them more like probably like mayors. And then he would have had like three governors. And in those three administrators, Daniel was one of them. So underneath the king, there's 123 men set into leadership positions. And the Bible tells us right here that Daniel had risen above the rest. Now we know why he had risen above the rest. Because it says there was no corruption in him. He was making wise choices. He was trustworthy. And there was no corruption found in him. See, Daniel was a man of integrity. Daniel had been called to a life that looked different than everyone else. Here's the first thing I want you to understand when we talk about integrity. Integrity is always obvious to those around. It's always obvious to those around. It's kind of magnetic. When someone does the right thing, when everybody else is doing the wrong thing, everybody takes notice. We probably saw this best in our high school years. Everybody was going this direction, and there was always that one that made a stand, and no one else followed, or maybe a couple people followed. And what would typically happen to that person? They'd be made fun of, they would be bullied, they would be called all kinds of things because they made a stand. You see, we're living in a culture, men, that does not want you to make a stand. And here's what I'm convinced of. The devil has got his eye on you, and he is coming after you with everything he has. See, the devil didn't want Daniel to be over these other 122 The devil wanted to find any way he could to tear Daniel down because he knew that everybody had taken note of who this was and how he was living his life. So when we live with a life of integrity, it is always obvious to the people around us. Uh, There's a guy in our life group who's a very dear friend of mine, and one day he called me and said, can we go to lunch? This is four or five years ago. I said, absolutely. So he went to lunch and he said, man, I'm, I'm really in, in, in kind of a tough spot at work. And I said, well, tell me what happened. And he worked in retail here in Memphis, very close to, to Bellevue, as a matter of fact. And he said the other day, he's a salesman. He said the other day there was a lady in our store and she was getting ready to make a very large purchase. And he said, she sneezed and I said, God bless you. And she's wanting to sue the company. And so the general manager has come in and he has asked me to either step away completely from the cell and potentially leave the company for saying God bless you. I said, how do you feel about that? And he said, I, I don't know how to feel about it. He said, this is, it's, it's, it's almost comical, you know, but it's, it's just so sad. And he said, I don't know what to do. He said, but I can't go in there and apologize for literally saying God bless you. He said, but at the same time, I really don't want to lose my job. And so we talked about Daniel and how Daniel made a stand even though no one else was making a stand. We're going to come back to the story of my friend in life group here in just a little bit. Let's move on to verse 5. It says, Then these men said, We will never find any charge against this Daniel unless we find something against him concerning the law of his God. In other words, we find no fault with him. He's done nothing wrong. And no matter how long we look, We're not going to find anything wrong with him. Now, can we just be honest with ourselves just for a minute? If there was somebody coming to try to find fault with you, do not raise your hand. 
How long do you think it would take them to find fault? How long do you think it would take for them to find a chink in your armor? How long do you think it would take them to find a place where you have compromised your integrity? By the way, I'm not just talking to you, I'm talking to myself. It says that these men, by the way, that's 122 guys, got together and said, we can't find anything wrong with this guy. So the administrators and satraps went together to the king and said to him, may King Darius live forever. That, that's what you do when you want to butter somebody up, okay? So he's, they're buttering the king up. All the administrators of the kingdom, the prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an edict that for 30 days anyone who petitions any god or man except you, the king, will be thrown into the lion's den. Therefore, your majesty, establish the edict and sign the document so that as the law of the Medes and Persians, it is irrevocable and cannot be changed. So King Darius signed the written edict. Wow. Isn't it interesting that they only made a decision to do this for 30 days? Why didn't they say a year? They didn't think it was going to take that long. Because they had watched him. You see, they had studied him. You see, when somebody walks with the Lord, you take notice of them. I've been at Bellevue. I started out as an intern in that office right up there. And my first day on the job, I swept that gym floor right there. I learned how to mop and sweep right there. Set all these bleachers up and down. And that was in 2006. So I've been here a while. And I have prayed that the Lord would leave me here for a long time. And one of the reasons is, is because it is an absolute honor to serve underneath a pastor who has not compromised the word of God and he's not compromised his integrity. When I look at pastor, I see a guy that is running towards Jesus. And he doesn't care if you laugh at him and he doesn't care if you write him off. His goal is to fall deeper in love with Jesus and to point us to do the exact same. And so it's an honor to serve under him. I am attracted to that. You know who else is attracted to that? The devil. The devil was attracted to Daniel. He wanted to tear him down, just like he did Job in the book of Job. And so here's the second thing I want you to see in regards to integrity. Culture is always against godly integrity. It's always against godly integrity. Why? Because the devil has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And so he doesn't want us to succeed in this idea of living biblical manhood out to where the outside world looks in and says, you know what, those guys that meet in the gym on Wednesday nights up there at Bellevue, they are different. And I want to be a part of that. I don't even understand it, but I want some of what they have. And so that's the predicament we find ourselves in every time we turn on the TV. It is speaking against manhood. Every movie, every TV show, I'm telling you now, you wonder if when you're watching sports on television, if it's men or women or men that are pretending to be women or women that are pretending to be men because they're letting all this stuff happen, and it's an attack on manhood, the way God has designed it. And by the way, he designed it from the very beginning. Because when we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we see that God instituted Man being the head of his household, he gave him a job and then he created Eve for man to take care of and for them to complement one another and to go through life together. 
And so, of course, the devil's going to come after us, just like he was coming after Daniel. The culture is always against godly integrity. So, godly integrity is always obvious to those around, and the culture is always after it. So here's what I want you to discuss at your table for a few minutes, and then we'll move on to verse 10 and kind of work our way through the end of the passage. Why is maintaining your integrity so important? Why is it so important? You know, oftentimes I think we don't know how to pray at all, and so we just pray for our wants and needs and what other people have talked about. And that's why a lot of times if you ask somebody how you can pray for them, they come up with something about, you know, an ailment or, a, you know, a problem they're having or a headache or whatever. And all those things are good or not good, but I mean, they're things that we need to pray about. But oftentimes we just don't know how to pray. I'll give you an example. I was at a uh, service down in Birmingham years ago, and I was listening to a very famous pastor preach. It was late that night, and he did a little intermission right in the middle of his sermon, and he brought up a missionary onto the platform, and this guy was from the secret church in China. This guy was with the underground church in China. And the guy stands up, this missionary, and he begins just tears in his eyes of talking about how many men and women were being killed day in and day out for Jesus Christ in China. I'm telling you, he's telling me about family members. He's telling us about family members, people in their church. He's talking about people that he loves. He's talking about children that have been drug off and killed. He was talking about all of these martyrs of the faith there in China. And then he said this. He said, I want us to pray for the underground church in China. And he paused. He said, but before we pray, I need to tell you how to pray. Because as Americans, I know how you want to pray. Your first prayer is that the persecution will stop. And he said, we don't need the persecution to stop. He said, it's because of the persecution that the name of Jesus Christ is going out through the entire country of China. And people are being saved left and right because of the persecution the underground church is experiencing. He said, I'm praying that the persecution will continue and that God will continue to raise up men and women that will stand faithfully on the word of God. I don't know, I don't know how to pray. Because that's not the way we pray. We just pray that we get through things and hopefully we learn the lesson. And he's telling me to pray a completely different way. See, for Daniel, I think what we would probably do in our society is figure out how we could do it so privately nobody would know because we would justify that it's only for 30 days. But Daniel was unwilling to compromise his integrity, even if it meant his life. And so today in our culture, why is it important to maintain our integrity as men of God? Talk about it around your table. you got a few minutes, and then we'll come back. All right, guys, sounds like you're having a good conversation around the table. Let me pull us back just for a minute. Then we're going to send it back to the table here in just a few minutes. I want us to look at the next two verses. Because I think they're very key to the text here. This is verse 10. When Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went into his house. The windows in his upstairs room opened towards Jerusalem, and three times a day he got down on his knees, prayed, and gave thanks to God, just as he had done before. Now, please do not read over that last portion of verse 11, because it's key. You see, in order for us to understand his mentality and how he continued on with his integrity, we need to understand 
that he had been faithful to the Lord before put in this predicament. And so we have to ask the question, what do you do when you get in a tough spot? Well, you do the things you know to do. And what he knew to do was pray. You say, I don't know what decision to make it work. You know what you do? You do what you know to do. You read God's word, you pray, you seek the Lord, and you don't move until he tells you to. Because we know all through scripture what happens to the guys that think they heard from the Lord and they move too quick. As a matter of fact, in Men of Memphis tomorrow, we'll look at that uh, with Moses. You know, Moses felt, it says Moses felt in his heart that he was supposed to, that God was going to use him to deliver the Israelites from Egypt. But you know what Moses did? He got ahead of the cart, man. He, or he got ahead of the horse, however you say that thing. He, he got ahead of what, where God, he wasn't ready to do what God had called him to do. So what does he do? He goes out, sees an Egyptian beating an Israelite, he kills the Israelite, or the Egyptian. You know what uh, God does with him? Sends him 40 years into the desert. He said, that'll teach you. See, what he had to do was humble Moses. He had to break him a little bit before Moses was actually ready. Daniel was at a place where he didn't know what was going to happen. He had a pretty good idea of what was going to happen, but he had such a big faith in God that he knew God could protect him from the lion's den and protect him from King Darius and all these other 122 men if God chose to. But if God chose to take him to the, the lion's den, that was God's will. And he was fine with that. What he knew to do was what he had always done. Three times a day, he went into his room, he opened the window, he looked towards Jerusalem, and he prayed to the Lord. See, here's what I want you to see. Godly integrity stays intact even in the midst of temptation. Even in the midst of temptation. I think about that missionary in China, how simple and easy it would have been for him to come down off the platform and kneel at the altar and ask all the Americans to come forward and pray that persecution would stop and just pray that everything would be good and fine and everything. But he was more concerned about God's will being done than he was about his own comfort. See, Daniel was a man of integrity. He was a man of godly integrity. He was a man that was walking with the Lord, and he said, you know what? If that's what you guys want, that's fine, but I'm more worried about what God wants than you want. See, I think part of being a godly man with godly integrity is that you care more about what God cares about than what man cares about. And the culture we live in today, that's hard. Because the culture's telling us what to wear, what to drive, where to live, what kind of jobs to have, how much money you should retire with, they're, 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 they're telling us everything. But the reality is, when you walk with the Lord, he's the one that tells you what his purpose and his will is for your life. So godly integrity stays intact. And see, here's the, here's the deal. You say, so you're saying if I compromise integrity, I don't, my integrity, I don't have godly integrity. I'm saying if we are walking with the Lord and God calls us to do something, and the culture is pulling us in the opposite direction. We have a choice just like everybody else. But what we see in Scripture is this guy stand up just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who got thrown into the fiery furnace and said, I will not, I will not, I will not disobey the Lord. I will follow the Lord no matter what. I wonder what Memphis, Tennessee would look like if the men of Bellevue would rise up and say, I will not. I will not bow the knee to political correctness. I will not bow the knee to what the culture is calling me to do. I will only bow my knee to King Jesus. And when I'm called to do one thing by the culture or called to do this thing by my job, I'm just going to do what God has called me 
to do. So I want this question to be talked around about around the table. And, and, and it's one that this is going to be very easy for you to talk about somebody else. Have you ever noticed that it's easy to point out sin in someone else's life? Am I the only one? I mean, you say, well, you're kind of judgmental. Well, yeah, I guess kind of naturally I am. But, you know, when you sit around and talk about it, it's easy to say, you know, he's got, he's got a lot of problems. It's like going in and hearing Brother Steve preach one time, and he's preaching a hellfire and brimstone message, and you're looking around, and you're saying, man, I'm glad he's in here tonight. You know, boy, she needs this. I'm so glad. You know what? Quit worrying about everybody else and start asking the Lord, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me? So I want to just talk just a little bit about this. We, we've already talked about what are the actions, you know, what actions do we see when someone compromises their integrity. But this is what I want to talk about. What have men been willing to sacrifice their integrity to? Think of King David. King David should have been on the battlefield. He should have been leading his men. He should have been a leader. And instead, he's on the rooftop. And he's looking at somebody he shouldn't have been looking at. He's letting his mind wander to a place it shouldn't have wandered to. And then instead of just leaving that thought, taking that thought captive, turning it back over to the Lord and saying, I don't want any part of that, he decides he's going to act on the thoughts that he's had. And boy, it's just a downward spiral after that. But I... I I don't want you to forget this either, that we serve a God that's so merciful and gracious and loving and kind that later on God says, David is a man after my own heart. Because you see, we get to Psalm 51, and we see a man that's been broken, and we see a man in David that just weeps before the Lord. We see a man that draws back to the Lord. We see it with Peter. Do you remember Peter, one of the disciples? The night Jesus is going to die, he's asked three times, aren't you uh, one of his disciples? And he denies that he even knows the Lord. And remember, Jesus even predicted it, and he still did it. And what happens? uh, uh, Peter repents. He comes back to the Lord. And what does God do through Peter? Well, we see the day of Pentecost. He preaches, I believe, the second greatest message ever preached, obviously secondary to any message Jesus ever preached, like the Sermon on the Mount. He preaches, and the Bible tells us over 3,000 men got saved that day. So God can use anybody he wants, no matter what we've done in our lives. But I think the question is, like when we look at David, he was willing to sacrifice his integrity for a moment of enjoyment. See, the culture's telling us we deserve it. The culture's telling us we work hard. Nobody can tell us what, nobody can tell you what to do. The culture's telling us that you do what feels right because you've put in your time or because no one else will know. So I want us to talk just for a moment. It doesn't have to be personal. But what have men been willing to sacrifice their integrity to or for? Take a few minutes, talk about it around your table, then we'll come back. All right, guys, let's, let's come back and let's finish up the text here. Let me give you a, a couple more things. But I thought I would just, I thought I'd just kind of narrate the passage, but it, it, it just can't do it justice. So I, I've just got to read it to you. So just bear with me. I'll put it on the screen. We've got to read through this text because it's just so good. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel petitioning and imploring his God. I'll be honest, I think most people today in our culture would have at least gone into hiding to pray. Oh, the Lord will understand it. See, we can easily justify that kind of thing. But not Daniel. He was going to do what he had always done, and they found him there. 
So they approached the king and asked about his edict. Didn't you sign an edict that for 30 days any person who petitions any god or man except you, the king, will be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, as a law of the Medes and Persians, the order stands and is irrevocable. Then they replied to the king, Daniel, one of the Judean exiles, has ignored you, the king, and the edict you signed, for he prays three times a day. As soon as the king heard this, he was very displeased. He set his mind on rescuing Daniel and made every effort until sundown to deliver him. Then these men went together to the king and said to him, You know, your majesty, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no edict or ordinance the king establishes can be changed. In other words, you can't even change it, big boy. It's put in place. So the king gave the order. And they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God, now listen to that, may your God, whom you continually serve, rescue you. That's important because not only had Daniel lived out his integrity in front of these satraps and administrators, he had lived it out, his his godly influence had even been noticed by the king. And so he says, I hope that your, your God will rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet ring of his nobles so that nothing in regard to Daniel could be changed. It was a done deal. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. You you, you get the sense here that the king really didn't want anything to happen to Daniel? You see, the king didn't completely understand it, but he had seen God's favor on Daniel. And he wanted him to be a part of his palace. No diversions were brought to him and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he reached the den, he cried out in anguish to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, the king said, has your God whom you continually serve been able to rescue you from the lions? Verse 21. Then Daniel spoke with the king, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they haven't harmed me, for I was found innocent before him, and also before you, your majesty, I have not done harm. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to take Daniel out of the den. When Daniel was brought up from the den, he was found to be unharmed, for he trusted in his God. The king then gave the command, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and thrown into the lion's den, they, their children, and their wives. Now that seems a little over the top, but here's the deal. When someone comes against us, the first thing we want to do is justify ourselves, and the second thing we want to do is we want to vindicate ourselves, and we want to take vengeance into our own hands. Let me just say this, if you'll walk with Jesus... The Lord says, vengeance is mine, and he will deal with them now, or he will deal with them in eternity, but they will be dealt with. These guys, not only did their decision, these 122, not only did their decision to trick the king into throwing Daniel in the lines, then affect them, it affected their wives and their children. They had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. In other words, do you know what killed them? Not the long fall. The lions got to them before they hit the ground. So here's what I want you to see. God's hand of protection follows godly integrity. Now I know what you're thinking. 
You're telling me if I will just follow God's commands, nothing bad will happen to me. I didn't say that. But God's hand of protection does follow the men and women that walk with him. Now, it doesn't always look like we want it to look. Because I was listening to Dr. Tony Evans, the funeral for his wife a couple years ago. And his son Jonathan was actually preaching at the funeral. If you got a chance to listen to it, you know what I'm about to say. It's one of the greatest things I've ever heard said at any funeral. Because Jonathan got very transparent for a moment. He said, I'll be honest with you. I pled and I begged and I cried to the Lord to heal my mama. And he said, when God didn't heal her and she died, I went to the Lord and I questioned his motive. And I said, Lord, I pled and I begged and I cried that you would heal my mama and you didn't do it. And he said, the Lord took him to the woodshed. How many of you ever been to the woodshed with the Lord? He said, the Lord spoke to him and said, my answer was still yes. You see, if I had healed your mama on earth, I would have said yes to your prayer. Or if I chose to heal her in eternity, my answer was yes to your prayer. My yes was just not exactly what you thought it should be. But regardless of how you prayed, I answered it correctly. Jonathan said, I came to a place of total peace because I realized my mama was not hurting anymore. She was not sick anymore. And by the way, as much as she loved us, no way did she want to come back and be here again. And so God had answered it exactly how he chose to. And so I don't know how, what God's going to do in your life. I know my wife's walked through death. I know her dad died when she was 10. I know her brother that was two weeks out from being a missionary to Costa Rica was killed in a car wreck by a drunk driver. I don't understand that. But what I do know is when you walk outside of the will of God, his hand of protection is removed. And he will let you deal with it on your own. And what we see here. And what we see with Daniel's three buddies in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it's almost the same type of story. They went into the fiery furnace and God delivered them out of it. You see, when we pray, typically we pray prayers that would say, Lord, whatever happens, don't let me have to go in there. Isn't it interesting that Daniel did not pray in his prayer time, Lord, I'm trusting you, please don't send me into the lion's den. You said, well, his, his prayer wasn't recorded here, how do you know that? Because it says he prayed like he always had. You see, he had stayed faithful to the Lord. You see, we always want God to keep us from going through the lion's den or the fiery furnace. And sometimes he says, oh no, I want you right in the middle of it so I can deliver you out of it. So you can realize it was nothing that you did and it was everything that I did. And so not only did God bless Daniel, but God blessed a lot of people through what happened. So I want you to see God's hand of protection follows godly integrity. Now let's look at the last couple verses. Then King Darius wrote to those of every people, nation, and language who live on the whole earth, may your prosperity abound. I issue a decree that in all my royal dominion, people must tremble in fear before the God of who? Daniel. He's going against his 30-day edict. Remember it was not 24 hours earlier, it was said that the king could not change the edict that was put in place. And now the king has changed it, and he's gone so far as to say, not only do you not have to worship me, you had better worship 
the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed, and his dominion has no end. He rescues and delivers. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth, for he has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Now look at verse 28. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So Daniel prospered during their reign. Here's the last thing I want you to see. God, God's, God provides, sorry, I've got a typo there. God provides for those that walk in godly integrity. He provides. You say, so you're telling me if I walk with the Lord, I'm going to be like Job at the end of the book where he gets double the kids, double the money, double the cows, double the sheep. I didn't say that. I don't know what prosperity looks like when it's coming from the Lord. It can look however he wants it to. I've been to friends' houses who are living in a complete different tax bracket than I am. By the way, I think there are a couple tax brackets from where I am. And you know what? That's okay. Because God can do whatever he wants with whoever he wants for whatever reason he wants. But this is what I know. When we walk with the Lord, we receive the blessings of the Lord. And when we don't, we miss them. I'm convinced, and I don't know how it's going to work exactly, but we're going to get to heaven, and we're going to be able to look back in some way. I, I don't know what that's going to look like. I'm not saying we're going to be able to look down here on earth, don't, so don't, don't, that's not my theology. I, I'm saying I don't know what it looks like, but I think we're going to be able to look back in some ways, and we're going to be able to see all the blessings we missed while we were here. Because you see, when we walk with the Lord, God provides for us. Tony Evans said, it is when men decide that God will set the standard, and it is that standard they will pursue that we become men of integrity. And we have the impact this society, our families, and we ourselves so desperately need. How many of you know our culture today needs godly men? How many of you know that in this room of about 140 to 150 guys that God could bring a revival to Memphis, Tennessee. You see, just because we've never seen it doesn't mean it can't happen. You say, I've never seen revival. I've not either. I've read about it. And I, I don't know about you, but, but when, I, when I get around really good food, I'm a hot wing guy, okay? I love hot wings. The price has gone so high you can't eat them anymore, okay? I mean, they, they, it's, it's unbelievable what they're charging for hot wings. But when I'm walking from my car to a hot wing place, my saliva glands start watering. I'm getting so excited, you know? I mean, I'm just salivating over these hot wings, all right? I'm telling you, I've read so much about revival. And I prayed with Noah right back there on Sunday night and pastor that God would bring revival. And by the way, God can choose to bring revival to this city and to this church however he wants. But I'm going to tell you, there's about 500 women sitting in a room over there that have been praying about it for years. And I just wonder if 140 or 150 men would get really serious about the Lord. Not just their integrity and what everybody else thinks about us. We would get really serious about our relationship with the Lord. And we would go after the Lord with everything we have, I think, that we could see a change in our city. And by the way, I don't know if you've picked up on this lately. Memphis needs a change. And we can whine about it all we want. We can read all the news articles all we want, and we can post all we want on social media, but until we stand up after we have knelt down, 
before a holy God like Daniel did. I wonder if God's going to do anything in our city. You see, I believe it's men walking with this type of integrity that God really desires. So you say, Derek, what is the action step tonight? What, what, what does this call us to do? We hear you talking about it, We hear you talking about we shouldn't compromise. So, so what do I do? Well, what did we say earlier? When you don't know what to do, you continue to do what you know is right. Well, I don't know if I'm supposed to sell my house and move across the city. Well, don't do it yet. You just keep following the Lord. You keep trusting the Lord. You keep praying until he gives you an answer. See, we plan a lot at Bellevue. I don't know if you know that. There's a lot of plans. Well, they, we've got meetings about meetings around here. It's unbelievable. But this has been my prayer the last three years. When I walk into a meeting, I say, Lord, this is just me and the Lord. Lord, right now, we're going to plan and we're going to plan and we're going to plan for your glory. But I don't want to move unless you say move. And guys, I would say the same thing for us. So what do we do? What's our action step? Number one, meditate on God's word. Now, I didn't just say read God's word. We know that. We know where to pick God's word up and read it. But Psalm 1 says what a godly man looks like. It's a man that doesn't waver, that doesn't compromise his integrity, and he meditates on God's word day and night. You know how you're going to meditate it on the day and night? If you get up in the morning and you read it. You don't put it in. It's not going to be what you're thinking about throughout the day. I've seen this news uh, company that says subscribe to our news company and every morning before you wake up there's going to be an email in your inbox with every piece of news that you need for today and you can actually change it to your occupation so if you want to see more of uh, what's happening on you know uh, with with uh, stocks and all that stuff or if you want to see what's happening the medical fields and it'll tailor it to you can I just make a statement we need to quit worrying about so much what the stock market's doing and start spending time with Jesus. Because the book of Mark tells us that even when Jesus was on earth, before the sun was up, the Bible says he left the house, departed, while it was still dark outside, and he spent time with the Father. The disciples went looking for him. You see, it wasn't about the disciples. It wasn't about anybody else. It was about him being poured into and him having fellowship with the Father. You see, we've got to meditate on God's Word. It's not just enough to read the Word. We've got to think about the word we've got to pray about the word we've got to talk about the word and by the way what happens then as we do and it marinates in our hearts and minds then the bible tells us in deuteronomy that we're to share it with our children and our spouses and the people that were around it says by the way that's how they're supposed to learn it's not Corey o'hara's job in middle school to teach our middle school students how to love jesus now we think it is because we're paying him to do it it's not it's our job as the dads to raise our children in the ways of the Lord so that when they're old, they will not depart from it. It is Corey's job and calling to come beside you and support what you are doing in the house. But the reality is, for a lot of young men and women, that's the only Bible they're getting because mom and dad aren't talking about it all in the house. And one of the reasons... Men don't talk about God's word a lot is because they're not meditating on God's word. So action step number one is to meditate on God's word. Action step number two is make the decision before there's a decision to be made. You say, what in the world are you talking about? 
I heard a guy one time say, he said, Derek, you've got to make a decision before there's a decision to be made so that when the decision comes up, it's not a decision at all. In other words, I told you all this two weeks ago. I made a decision when I was a little boy. I was never going to drink. And guess what? When I turned 21, and by the way, I was at a Christian university, and the guys on the basketball team that I was with dropped me off at a bar and gave me a bunch of money and told me to go on in. They didn't have enough money for us all to go in. They, they told me to go in. I said, I'm not going in there. And they laughed. I had made a decision as a six-year-old. You say, was it tough to not go in? No. I'm not bragging. I'm just saying I had already made a decision. You've got to make some decisions. You've got to make the decision. I will not compromise my integrity even if it means I lose my six-figure job. Well, I don't know what's going to happen. We may lose the house. Big deal. Big deal. What if I go bankrupt? What if, what if this? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? What if one day you stand before God? And he says, well, buddy, you prayed a prayer. Come on in. But I'm a little disappointed in the way you lived your life. See, we're so worried about what people will think that we're missing the boat. And so we've got to make some decisions. I don't know what decision you need to make, but I'm just telling you, we've got to drive some stakes in the ground. And I don't care what happens, and I don't care who's there, and I don't care what the devil says. I would rather lose it all than compromise my integrity. And here's the last thing of action steps. It is be involved in accountability. Guys, as men, one of the things we're hoping in this room is as you talk around this table is that you just develop some friendships. You know, we talk to guys all the time. It's typically about sports and work and the house and what projects you're doing and what car you bought and, you know, my catalytic converter got stolen. All this, this is the kind of stuff we talk about, right? But what we need to do is we need to sit around a table and we need to look somebody in the eyes and say, how are you doing with the Lord? Have your thoughts been pure? What do your finances look like? Did you claim everything on your taxes this year? We don't want anybody talking to us like that. But here's a newsflash. That's how God wants us to live our lives. Brother Steve, one of my favorite quotes Brother Steve says, if you drive the speed limit, blue lights don't bother you. I love that quote. If, you spot, if you're driving the speed limit, the policeman's coming up, woo, woo, woo. You, come on by, buddy. He's, he's going after somebody else because you're obeying the law. What he's saying is if you just walk with the Lord, if you just follow after the Lord, you don't have to worry about all this other stuff. But you know what we need? We need accountability and encouragement. I know I do. So on your table, there's some little cards and a rubber band. It's 10 accountability questions. I've got boxes of them back there. If you say, you know, I don't have an accountability partner, maybe somebody at that table could be your accountability partner. Maybe you need to find somebody else. Maybe it's somebody in your life group. Maybe it's your brother-in-law. Maybe it's your brother. Maybe it's your dad. I want you to take one of those cards, and I just want you to pray, God, please bring somebody in my life that can help hold me accountable and that I can hold accountable as well. Now, here's the deal. Don't take one of those if you're planning on meeting with somebody and lying to them. You're wasting their time and you're wasting yours. Accountability is transparency, so it's got to be somebody you trust. It's got to be somebody that you've built relationship with. But if you want more of those, you go back there and get another one so you can give it to your accountability partner. If you don't have an accountability partner and you say, I, I, I need somebody to just look me in the eyes, I've got a couple guys we, we talk about every other week and we'll just ask questions. Hey man, how's your thought life? Have you had any lustful thoughts? How's your relationship with your wife? 
Are you loving her like Christ loves the church and so forth? And we'll, I'll go down that a lot of times. I carry one of those in my Bible. I, carry, I don't have one. I gave mine away, but I'll, I'll put one in my wallet. And they're just questions that I'll ask. And the questions I want to ask, you know what? When we welcome accountability, it's amazing what the Lord will do. So I don't know which action step you need to take. Maybe you say, Derek, I'm reading God's Word, but I'm not really spending a lot of time in it. And maybe that's it. Maybe you just say, this week I'm just going to meditate on God's Word. I'm going to take four or five verses. I'm going to take one verse. I don't know what it is. And I'm just going to dig in deep, and I'm going to meditate on it. And I'm going to quote it, and I'm going to think about it. I'm going to pray through it, and I'm going to share it, and I'm going to talk about it. Maybe it's that you need to make some decisions. Maybe you need to draw a line in the sand. And you say, I will not. Or maybe you just need accountability. Maybe you need somebody that will sit across the table or make a phone call and say, how are you doing? But it's your choice what action step you take. I had another table discussion, but we're out of time, so I'm going to pray for you. And then please eat another cheeseburger on your way out. (laughs) Lord Jesus, we love you. I love these men. And God, we love your word. Thank you for Daniel. Thank you for a man that stood faithfully with you, that was not willing to compromise. Lord, he wouldn't turn to the left or the right. He just followed after you. Oh, God, would you put a convicting, burning desire in our hearts to rise up and have the integrity of Daniel and not compromise, no matter what the devil in the world throws at us. God, encourage these men tonight. Lord, I imagine in this room there's men that have said, I have compromised my integrity. I have looked at pornography. I have had an affair. I have cheated on my taxes. I have told some lies. Lord, I want to encourage them tonight that your grace is sufficient. Your mercies are new every morning. And what you can do with a broken man is what we couldn't do in a million lifetimes. So, Lord, maybe there's a man here tonight that just needs to lay it all on the table needs to repent of those sins and move forward. God, whatever they need to do, I pray they'll do it. We love you. Take these guys home safely. Thank you for this food that was provided for us tonight, Lord. We love you. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. Didn't finish the story, did I? My friend went in to meet with his boss, and his boss said, you got two choices. You can apologize to the lady. And uh, you can just walk away from the cell, or you can start looking for something else. He looked for something else, he found something else, and he's still there about five years later and loving it. And when he left, he thought he had lost all relationships, and there are people that work at that place that still call him every time they have issues. Because they saw a man of integrity that wasn't willing to compromise.